Welcome to From Zero to Millions, Accounting Edition. I am Bilal Mihana. And I'm Kelly Roars. We're here to share our wealth of knowledge on running a public accounting firm. Whether you're a seasoned CPA, an aspiring accountant, or a business owner seeking financial guidance, join us for valuable insights and practical advice. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From Zero to Millions Accounting Edition. This week, Bilal and I have on Tony Wilson. Welcome, Tony. Tony is a CPA and a CMA. He's always had a passion for entrepreneurship, just like myself and Bilal, starting his first business while he was in college, doing photography. He's just really passionate about framework for entrepreneurs to succeed. Now he, after a decade of being in public accounting and corporate America, he has launched his own company, Equip, which is an educated oriented fractional CFO, an outsourced accounting service entity. And he primarily services companies in the software development industry, SaaS companies, technology, all this fun stuff. So welcome, Tony. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Really glad at the opportunity to chat. I've watched a couple of your other episodes and I'm like, let's talk accounting firms. Yeah. Make it fun. fun. (laughs) That's awesome. So, you know, Tony, I have been connected with you on LinkedIn for some time. I've been a guest on your podcast. I've also been had the pleasure of being a member of your tax-minded group, which is like a mentorship, really, nice. for accountants. And I'm just so amazed at all that you do, being a father of three little kids under three years old. That's It's that's just great. amazing. So, you know, we'd like to start off, if you could give us a little bit of a background about your journey. A brief description and how you got here. Absolutely. Yeah. So like many in the accounting space, especially those who are starting their own firms, I did start off in public accounting. I was not on the tax side. And I feel like as I look back on it, I'm like, oh, it would have been nice to have at least a little bit of tax exposure. Uh, But I was in audit. Uh, I was at Grant Thornton. So not big four, but still, I think, top six accounting firms. And I learned a ton in audit which is the case, right? You're like, you learn so much from other review notes. And on the one hand, I love the experience because I love the learning that took place. But on the other hand, it was just, it was brutal, right? Like busy seasons, just not enjoyable. I think the thing that I really struggled with audit is it is a compliance function. And where I find most passion and, and desire is in like the value add, not in like compliance type of work. And so I only spent just shy of two years, right? So I, I made my way to, uh, I was just promoted to senior accountant or a senior associate. And that's when I was like, all right, it's time for me to make my move. Um, so from there, I worked in a rotational program, a salaried rotational program. So I got to move to a few different companies while working with them, which is a great experience. Got to work, I'd say, largely with other tech companies. That's a great story. That was after Grant Thornton. Yep. It was a, a company called Salo, which was actually recently acquired by Corn Ferry. And yeah, it was r- wonderful. 
I yeah learned a lot, got some exposure in financial reporting for publicly traded companies. So I was working on 10 Qs, 10 Ks, worked in a little bit of internal audit, worked in SOX compliance, and also just general close, right? I don't know, Kelly, I know that you've been primarily in the tax world. Bilal, I don't know if you've been on the audit side much, or have you also been mostly tax? Mostly tax. A little mostly bit of uh, small audit, because I worked at a firm that did compilations and uh, reviews. But that extent and some provisions deployed, but yeah. nothing deep dive into audit. Right. So like for people who, who are pretty much exclusively audit background, they'll, they can speak to this too, but you go through audit in public accounting and you learn so much about the big picture of the financial reports. Yes. But like you take somebody fresh out of public accounting and nobody expects that you're going to have any idea what you're doing and posting a journal entry. Like it's the running joke of I've audited all these journal entries before, but I've never posted one myself. So that was really, I would say a very good experience for me in doing that. Landed my first manager job at a, a large multinational company and Loved working with them. Was there for a couple of years before I eventually then started my own practice. Equip. Looking at LinkedIn, you did a lot of things before Grant Thornton, after Grant Thornton. You you jumped around, and that's a true entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurs usually don't stay alone for for a while. They just always that's move right. around different things. Mm-hmm. You started your own company before Grant Thornton, based on LinkedIn profile, mm-hmm. and then you started your your firm in twenty one, correct? How did you like? What made you start your firm? How do you decide like the client base that you go after, the services you provide? I know you, you don't do much taxes. You only do much, only a fractional CFO accounting, basically. That's right. That's right. Like what made the jump? Because your daughter is what? Your, your kids are under three, right? Yeah. So you started your firm 21, which is about two years ago. So <laughs> after you had your kids. Literally, yeah. So literally, I'm on so paternity job. leave. And your wife yeah. probably not working. No, nope, no, she's at home with kids. Yeah, zero yep. income at that point. That's right. Uh, Sole breadwinner. Talk so, about lighting a fire under your butt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I tell people all the time, like if they want to start their firm, and they say, oh, uh, my wife works or, or they have no right. kids or they're single, they're not married. I'm like, you have nothing to lose. Like people that start <laughs> firms that have kids and all right. those different things. And yeah, they have people to feed and they have responsibilities. And it's just funny, like people that actually want to do it, just jump in. Yes. So how did you agree. figure that out initially? Yeah. So there's a little bit that led up to it, right? So in, in my story, like I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to serve entrepreneurs, right? That was always in the back of my mind, even before I came to Grant Thornton. So for me, it was a matter of not if, but when. Mm-hmm. And I knew also that I wanted to get enough experience in corporate America where I could actually be a value add to the clients I was working with. And so... It was. It had always been a question of when is that right that right time to move. And I even told my, my boss actually, who who hired me at the full time role where I was at for about three years as an accounting manager. I told him at the very beginning, I'm like, I just want to let you know, this is not my forever job. Like I'm here for a, a period of time. I want to learn as much as I can. But when the time comes, I just want. I will be moving on. And he's, I will just be glad to have you as long as we can have you. And he was, he even to this day is still a great friend of mine. Shout out to Jason Dollum. But Yeah. So that was always in the background. And then we come into the pandemic and I don't know if this is the case for you guys, but I consumed so much podcast material in the pandemic. I'm I'm going on a walk and I'm listening to this podcast and that podcast. And I just was feeling super inspired by a lot of the people who were moving on and and finding creative ways to create revenue streams for themselves. And so that was like in the background. And then 
my daughter comes and you'd think that when you have a kid, especially your first kid, you'd think your immediate reaction would be, let's try to be safe. Let's try to hunker down. Uh That was just not at all what was going (laughs) through my mind. I was, for whatever reason, I was feeling like now's the time to take risks. But it was really interesting, right? Because here I am holding my daughter in my arms. She didn't sleep super well the first couple of weeks, especially. So I was trying to give my wife some time to rest. So I had to hold her in the middle of the night. And I'm watching this baby in my arms. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, little girl, you will be able to do anything you set your mind to. You can do anything. you. And really wanting that for her, right? Like you, you're both parents. Like love you, that. I yeah, really it, love that. That's, you, that's so true. Well, you have that, especially your first child, you feel that even more so. Wow, I've never realized how much I want my kids to just be able to accomplish anything they put their minds to. And I just started to feel really hypocritical, right? Like I'm expecting that she can do whatever she wants. But meanwhile, I have a dream off to the side that I'm not taking risks to do myself. And so I thought, I got to do this for the sake of my kids so that, you know what? It's okay if I fail. It's okay if if things don't pan out. Because I can always come back and get a job, but I will never forgive myself for not at least trying. So I was talking with my wife about it and she was super supportive, which is huge. Like your spouse has to be on board. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to work. What a great topic to bring up. Nobody does anything great without taking a risk. There is a risk of going. You have to take a risk to go out on your own and start your own business. But to be an example for your kids, because, yeah, I feel the same way. My son and my daughter now, I'm like, you are both so strong. You can do anything you put your mind to. I feel like that's like our generation, right? It's like Mm -hmm. the world is your oyster. Mm -hmm. And if you're not setting that example, then how much can they really? It's just it's that's amazing. That's amazing. Absolutely. So I suppose like the the clientele you, you chose did that, in fact, was that based on like your experiences from prior companies you worked at? You chose that yeah. field or was it uh, just you like that field? It was, I would say, heavily influenced, right? So I'd, I'd always been in tech companies or tech adjacent companies. And so I'd always had a lot of experience and exposure with working with dev teams. And so, and honestly, they're my people, right? Like they're nerdy. They're really smart. They're also just like, the vast majority of them are lifelong learners, which is not necessarily the case in other fields. There, I was thinking about this today. I'm like, something that I think draws me to software development or the software world is like, th- there is a high concentration of entrepreneurship, lifelong learning, and just a lot of like values fits that I see in my own self. And so as I was looking at, okay, who do I want to serve? I'm like, I think I just resonate a lot with these software developers. And then I think also there was an opportunity. One of my friends has a software development agency and he just one day was asking me, we we were at a a mutual friend's house and he was just like, hey, what if I just pay you to do my books? Because it's taken a lot of my time. And so we just started off with a really small engagement while I was still working full time. And that just continued to grow and blossom. And I thought to myself, shoot, if I'm doing it for him, what if I just focus specifically on software development agencies? And so that's how I, I really focused in on who is already in front of me. You know, it's so funny. I just want to bring up the fact that I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're really into technology and equipment, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think six or seven months ago, I said, I wonder what Tony's using for his camera and his microphone. (laughs) And I bought exactly what you told me to, and Uh I have no regrets. 
So yeah, I just wanted to French. drop that in there. Oh, fantastic. Share that. I'm what is that? that? What am I using? I'm using like a the Shure my the Shure microphone. 7 microphone yeah. and then I have this Sony EZV10 mm-hmm. camera. Mm-hmm. And okay. with my new desk setup, I also have I have it on its nice stand here instead of a cardboard box that I was using for a period <laughs> of time before I changed my desk. I also have this nice arm for my mic. And I feel like I'm on the Tony Wilson setup now. Thank you for that. Tony Wilson setup. Post on LinkedIn. (laughs) Totally. That's nice. So let's talk a little bit more about like, how did you decide fractional CFO services? And I think a lot of people want to do something like that, right? As we're moving into this world of CAS, client advisory Mm -hmm. services, right? Mm -hmm. People are like, how do I be a fractional CFO? What does that mean? Does that mean that you're their CFO forever? Or is this like an interim thing? What sort of services do you provide? Help educate the people who don't really know what that means. Yeah, we've got a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah. And I will be, I think it's important to set as a backdrop. I was actually very resistant to the title fractional CFO for good reason. I've worked in large companies, so I know what a CFO actually does. And what I do ain't that. The reason why I eventually gave in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to call myself fractional CFO is because the people who were paying me money told me, oh, Tony, we consider you a fractional CFO. I'm like, shoot, if you're paying me the money, you're paying me at a rate that's commensurate with standard rates for fractional CFOs these days. I'm going to trust what you believe about me more than I want to hold and stick to my guns. I think the reason why I was so resistant to it also is because in the space that I'm playing, there's a lot of education that needs to happen. I think for, I would say, more accounting and finance educated people who like are in that in corporate America right now, you could call what I do is more kind of fractional controller work with a little bit of strategy sprinkled in. Mm -hmm. Because quite frankly, nobody really needs a fractional CFO this small, but it helps put you in a box that's different and separate and distinct from bookkeeping, right? So you say bookkeeping, people have a box for you over here and it's very low value, very low cost stuff. If you say accountant, everybody assumes you are doing tax, which I just don't do. But if you say fractional CFO, it gives you a new space for people to understand and relate to you and put you in a a better box that positions you to have more strategic conversations where they're expecting that with you, right? So like just today, hopped on a quick call with one of my clients and we're talking through pricing strategy. Like, great. I want to do that. And I also want to be paid for what that advice is worth. Because I bet you a lot of people are providing that service, right? And we're having these one-off conversations with the clients, but we're not charging for it. That's exactly right. One other thing I was going to say with that is to your question about what exactly is a fractional CFO, I think it's also really important that we clarify what is the industry you're serving. Because a fractional CFO for a a SaaS company is going to look very different. I should say a SaaS company who is funded, who's received a couple rounds of funding and is looking for the next round of funding, a fractional CFO for that company is going to be wildly different from the type of fractional CFOing that I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I think be really clear on what it is you want to do and what you don't want to do, and then maybe try to gravitate towards an industry that best aligns with that type of work. In a way, you're providing more 
wide picture goals, cash flowing forecast, and more advice on if the, if the owner has questions or he want to ask, thinking about making a decision, he calls you. In a way, he's looking at you as, as, a, as an advisor slash person that knows the economic financial field. And that is fits within the factual CFO realm. People bring out CFOs to make those type of decisions and or build that picture uh, in the financial world. So you, you have full play with your, your firm, open up your kids. But now you are doing also your own group, cat group, accounting mm-hmm. group. Tell us more about that. What is that? What does it do? What does it provide? So I started the tax-minded group because I just, I needed it. I had, because at the time I was like, maybe I will use my CPA license and try to do some tax. I have since decided I would much rather work with people like Kelly, <laughs> have my clients go to them. But I just, I saw a huge need because I think, I don't know, maybe your listeners will resonate with this. I think the vast majority of like old school or past generation firm owners are very hold everything to the chest. We don't collaborate. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be friends or friendly with other firm owners. And what it does is it just like dries up all the potential for mentorship to happen so that you effectively are forced to work in public accounting if you want that type of camaraderie, if you want that type of education. And I just thought to myself, man, I loved the learning and the camaraderie that happened in my public accounting days. I wish I could create that while also being a firm owner. And so we stood up the tax-minded group with just some very simple core principles and values, which is that we're here to learn from one another to mutually encourage one another because this solopreneur work can be very lonely at times. And then we're also going to always continually expand. We're going to continue to try to bring new people into our fold. And so with those three principles in mind, it just guides and directs why we do what we do and how we do what we do as a group. And what I've really tried to do because it's a free, it's an invite only, but it's a free group. I'm really trying to like rely on the people of the group to contribute and make the group what it is. And like, Kelly, you can attest to this too, but I'm not the one posting most of the stuff in there. Like it's a lot of other people coming with questions. Like I have this unique situation. What are your thoughts on this? And lots of responses will come back and forth. You got stuff on what are some good continuing education resources? Like one of the guys was talking about, man, I want to upskill myself on S-Corps. I don't even know the first place to start. Mm -hmm. And like, how many times do you get the opportunity to ask those types of questions you don't when you're a solo firm owner. And this is a Facebook group or LinkedIn group? Slack. Where people can find you. Or Slack. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If people want to uh, to join, talk to Kelly, talk to me, talk to anybody else who's in the group, then we'll see if it's a good fit. Awesome. Yeah. So just I'm in the group and I participate when I can. It pops off like a lot. Every day there's action (laughs) in it. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to snooze this for the rest of the day because I'll see that there's a hundred messages. So there's always somebody to answer your question or bounce idea off of. But I'm curious, do you know how many people are in the group at this point? I think we have 30, just north of 30 right now. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. And you hold like a weekly or a biweekly meeting. 
on Zoom, right. which of which I don't have the pleasure of attending because that's when I pick up my kids from the babysitter. Totally so my sense. apologies. <laughs> and like just some really cool, I think, organic things that are happening in the group that I just wanted to bring up. And I'm definitely I'm a big proponent. One of the reasons why we even started this podcast is like helping other CPAs. We want to be transparent. We don't want to be like those old school mm-hmm. accountants who don't want to talk about oh, I don't want to tell you how much I'm charging my clients. I don't want to tell you how much what we're doing and where I'm getting this from. I think, no, but it's like the generation of being super transparent. I just got off the call, an AICPA call with some really well-known people. And they're like, we'll share everything with you. We'll share templates. We'll share pricing. There are more than enough clients to go around. So let's put our heads together Uh and do this. And like just something really cool that I think, Eight of us ended up going in and buying a software together. Oh, um, you guys did do that. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I What'd won't name the software so yeah. that we, so I don't get interruptible. So what does it do? What does it do? It's a research software. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which yep. can be pricey, yes. especially for a, a small firm. And listen, if I don't think it would be valuable for me to pay $10,000 for a software right I now know for where I'm at this point. I'll, I'm happy to share that more is, offline yeah, if anybody has any questions. Yeah. But we all came together. Like one of us was the person of contact. One of us put the tech together. Like yeah. it's, it's just amazing to be able to create that sort of community. Yeah. And well, I and think, my, like you said, we need it if we're especially remote, we're exactly. young, we're yep. there all the time. That's another part, right? So I think me personally, I think the number one selling point of being an employee of a public accounting firm is you have access to the education and that kind of stuff and the mentorship. But the other thing is just economies of scale, right? Some of these softwares are just out of our price point. I won't, I also won't name the software. I, part of the reason why I'm not doing taxes because I'm like, I just can't get it to scale. I can't get the right tax prep software. Cause like this one tax prep software that I used was so bad. I actually just got a message because one of the returns that I filed, Oh, the return was completely missing information and I didn't catch it because here I am looking at the input screens, not what was actually output. It just, the system errored out on the state tax returns. And I was like, oh, oh God. That's yeah. different. I think with, but this is very smart what you guys are doing with the group because I know, especially with research softwares, I know the expensive ones get very expensive and a firm that has, like that, that really don't have a lot of people in, in the firm with one or two people. It's very expensive to spend that much money on a software. But you having that, that, this type is very important to have in that firm and having that soft, having the group chipping in and buying the software is a very great idea, actually. Yeah, I would say beyond, so what's your goal in the firm? Like, where do you want to build the firm at? I would say as far as for, as you build your firm, where, where are you at right now with, if you can show your revenue per year, where do you want to be? What's your goal on this? I was actually just, that was one of my rocks for this quarter is to try to cast the vision for 2024 and 2025. I would say, let me first address the motivations and then I'll back into why I got to where I got to. So my number one motivation is actually not something you would expect. Equip is first and foremost, an educational brand. And as such, the core value or the core values are very centric around that. I find so much more meaning and passion over raising up the next generation, over giving other people opportunities to learn and to grow, and also to make a serious impact in my clients' lives. 
I'm so much more motivated by trying to create another job position for somebody else or the existing part-time account that I have. I want to give her more and more opportunities. I want her to have a full-time job with me. So that's a big element. And then the other big element, like we were talking about before, like I got a lot of young kids. My wife would probably not mind it if I was a little bit more available during the days. And so whatever business I want to build, it needs to have, it has to be something that's flexible for me and my family. That's the word yeah. I was thinking of while you're yep. saying that. Flexible. Gotta be flexible. Exactly. So with those two in tandem, where I focused is I'm like, I'm actually not going to grow it super big. I'm not looking for a massive exit valuation because that's just not what I'm in it for right now. What I do want to do is I want to be intentional about the growth so that I'm being very picky about who I'm bringing on, that we can provide the most value, but we can also extract the most value from the engagement so that we're talking high margin contracts that I can then afford to pay my accountant to work a little bit more and a little bit more. So some of my goals for this next year is I want to be able to consistently provide the full-time work that my part-time accountant is currently desiring. Mm -hmm. So that's one big goal. I think realistically, that probably looks like maybe 250 to 300K a year in revenue is where I'm targeting. I actually was just about to be on that track. And then as you guys know, sometimes things in pipeline don't end up coming to fruition Mm because that's just the name of the game. I had some late stage deals that fell out. So we're back to call it 150K uh, a year in revenue at the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. And like you said, it's not just about the dollars. Yeah, this podcast is called From Zero to Millions, but there's people who are making millions of dollars and actually have no life and have children that they don't see. And I think it's so admirable that you're looking for that flexibility. So am I. Like, I, again, pick up my kids at three o'clock every single day from the babysitter and spend the afternoon with them. That is my, that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And I may not be, be looking to grow my firm in big dollar amounts either. Maybe it's like carving out more time yep. for myself during the day to be able to support everybody within the firm or their family. So it's it's not always about the dollars. That's right. Sure. That, totally. I think also more to that is you mentioned that, Tony, that's it. It's about how much you take home, first of all. Right, if you can do a million dollars, they take home two hundred thousand. You can do to three hundred thousand a year, and they come to hundred thousand. Same thing, right? But more importantly, is that the clients you have, the mm-hmm. quality of client. I think yes. you can have thousand clients, a hundred bucks each, million dollars a year return revenue for working hundred hours a week. But if you have quality clients are staying with you a long time, they're paying for the value providing them. I think that's most important thing. That yep. by itself. The growth, I think, will come eventually. But if you pick your clients in the beginning, good clients, quality clients that you want, the growth will come. Because eventually mm-hmm. people will recognize this guy, oh, this guy does value. And you're in that, you in the niche that is like, I'm in that this SaaS niche. And the word will spread eventually. My, my, my hockey stick was like, I had a hockey stick increase in revenue at one point a couple of years ago. But I just focus on this specific niche. And I think you'll get you will get there eventually, but I think. But if you pick the wrong clients, yeah, slow you down, yeah, push you That's down, right. and then I like your work. Yeah, you know, it's just it's a slippery slope eventually. Right. Most important thing: pick pick your clients, mm-hmm. pick the what you want to price at, so that way you can afford to get hire good staff that will stay along for yeah. a while for, for stay at uh, your firm for a while, 
and they're happy, you're happy. I think that's initially the foundation. And you used to, you're on the right path for sure. But yeah. also you do on the two different things, which is you help mm-hmm. other also other people, other firms like yeah. with Tax Mind Group, which is a great group, I'd say, to help solopreneurs, their own firms that want to do other things that big firms can't afford, but small firms can afford. That's right. Yep. With the education and stuff like that. One other thing I was going to mention, though, as I look to 2024, that's a strategic initiative for me, is to be more intentional with the educational content that I'm putting out. So one of the ways that's manifesting in 2024 is I'm actually on the lookout for very specialized accounting and finance educators who aren't really looking to go to the major platforms to put their content out there because they want like a, a higher quality touch and feel to it. But one people who want to strategically partner on unique content. I'm talking with one guy who is in the order to cash, the billing and collections life cycle of a finance department. And he's got some really great content and we're going to potentially collaborate and create a course together. So there's going to be a little bit more co- course creation that's going to happen in 2024 as well. And then the other big thing, if I can just put a shout out to the course that I've already created. It's called the Tax Ready Freelancer course, which is really meant to be a an opportunity for freelancers and solopreneurs with very non-complex businesses to run their own books. And the way that I tell accounting and finance uh, service providers, especially like tax accountants, the way that I tell them why this is actually a really great thing for them to recommend to their prospects is it's an incredibly powerful leverage tool to call their bluff when they say your bookkeeping services are too expensive. Yeah. Because it's That's like, awesome. I mean, you, you, let's say you're going through the conversation, the, the discovery call, and you're and they're like, yeah, what's your bookkeeping service? And you're like, we start at $1,000 a month or $1,200 a month or whatever it is. Like, oh, that's too expensive. You know what? I actually have a great resource for you. If you wanted to do this yourself, I know the guy personally. He's great go check out the course, either they're going to go and they're going to take it and they're going to really be happy that they saved all that money or they're going to come back and they'll be like, oh, the real reason I wanted to hire you is because this is a pain in my butt. I don't really feel comfortable with what I'm doing and I know that I can trust you. Boom. So much easier to upsell on that. 100%. 100%. What an awesome lead magnet. I know. (laughs) There you go. It's a course that, you know, you could reach out to us. It's open. We're on early bird price. By the time this episode airs, we'll be on the the normal pricing. I will say if there are tax professionals, accountants, other people, and you want to join my affiliate network, you get a 10% commission on anything that you sell, and you get a 10% discount code that you can give to your prospects so that they're incentivized to buy using your, your code. Hit me up. I'll get you some information. Hit Kelly up or hit me up. If you want some information on how to join the affiliate network, because that's another great way. You might as well monetize a little bit of if the interaction ends up being they're not a right fit for you, send them to the course and make actually, a little bit of Actually, it'd be a great idea for you. Uh, and I was actually want to do this uh, last year, but uh, it was too much work for me and stuff like that, is build a course for bookkeepers to learn bookkeeping, but also build a course to teach Let's say foreign, foreigners on U.S. bookkeeping. And my goal was that if we should build a course for them to learn U.S. bookkeeping, do them certified and have them. And, and, and then if firms looking for bookkeepers at a low rate. So establish a couple of business here, like the education business, the recruitment business would be one. 
combined, right? Hmm. That was my kind of idea, but obviously it takes a lot of work to establish it. But if you are in, in the education space, that would be a huge valuable for other firms, like small firms that are looking for bookkeepers, but can't mm-hmm. afford to hire $60,000 a year salary bookkeepers mm-hmm. hire from outside, but that learn U.S. bookkeeping. I think it's a great idea. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tony. If anybody wants to, first of all, actually, I think I should say, if you're looking for a community, reach out to one of us. We're happy to point you in the right direction. This is what we're here for, number one. But number two, Tony, where can people find you? Is LinkedIn your primary location? That's right. Yep. You can go find me on LinkedIn. Hit me up. I love connecting with new people. Also, feel free to email me at Tony at equip.com, A-C-Q-U-I-P.com. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for joining and listening to this week's episode. And we'll catch you soon. Before we sign off, remember to share this episode with fellow accounting professionals. Building the firm of your dreams is a journey best taken together. And by sharing, you're helping others on their path to success. 